Good morning, Grace. I am glad to, to be here, and I am glad you're here, and wish you a happy new year, and uh, rejoice. Let's have a great year, amen? amen? Let's pray. Lord Almighty, open our ears to your word, and open your word to our hearts. Remove from us those things that would keep us from hearing your word, so that we will rejoice to be more and more like Jesus Christ. Amen. The reason most people fail at their New Year's resolution is simple. It doesn't take a genius. We fail at our New Year's resolutions because we fail to change our thinking about whatever problem that we have. We fuss and we fret and we insist that we want to change and become better. But we fail to kill our own sin. Humanly speaking, you change how you think by developing a vision of what it is that you want to accomplish, the the future you want to live. And then you have to actually intend to live this vision by developing and following specific means, tools that you can do to live this vision. Now, you don't need to be a Christian to understand this dynamic. However, you do need God the Spirit in your heart if you are to accomplish something more than external things like losing some weight or dropping some sins that embarrass you. I don't intend this to be a how to make your, ser- your New Year's resolution succeed sermon. There are many man-centered churches around and there are self-improvement gurus aplenty who can help you with that. Instead, I want to open God's Word to our hearts so that we can see what is it that's most important to God for us so that we can live the best version of our lives as possible. Even if we carry a few too many cheeseburgers, even if we end up watching too much television. You, Christian, the one who trusts the promises of God for you in Christ, you want 2017 to bring you closer to Christ as opposed to merely allowing the drift of our culture to bring us further and further away from the source of life. God's Word and the Holy Spirit speaking through Him. And what I want to say to you is not original with me. In fact, it can't be. If it's true, it's not new. And if it's new, then it's not true. So I'll start with falling back on some advice I got 20 years ago or so when I was finishing seminary. The first couple, three, five times you quote somebody, you need to say their name. Then you get to about six to ten, you're quoting somebody, you say, somebody said. Then you get to quoting them about 11 to 20 times, you say, well, I think. After 20, you just say, as I've always said, So as I've always said, a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will grow a great church. 
Now, we don't quote Rick Warren around here a lot, but I think he did a really good job in saying this. So I want to kind of put a little spin. I want to paraphrase it a little bit. And I want to say that a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission will make a great 2017. This morning, we are going to look at these two passages, the great commandment and the great commission, and we're going to learn that there is a commonality. There is a central truth in Jesus' words to us that we can learn, and I put it like this. Love God and your near ones by making disciple-making disciples. Let's get at what Jesus is saying, and he is here talking to um, some Pharisees who are wanting to trip him up. So we pick up in verse 36. Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Now let me geek out a little bit on this passage um, what we find here is one of those few times where actually looking into the Greek matters. Now, Pastor Benji and I both agree we don't go into the Greek very much because we want you to rightfully have confidence in the Bible that's in front of you, whether you read the English Standard Version, the New American Standard Version, or even if you read the Nearly Inspired Version. We want you to have confidence in God's Word. But here, Jesus uses one little word, like. And the word that he chooses is homois. Now, there is another Greek word that translates like, and it's hos, and it means what you would expect. It means similar to. Now, we can discuss an apple and an orange, and we could talk about how they are like each other. They both have seeds. They're both fruit. They both grow on trees. But if a Greek speaker wants to talk about two things being exactly alike, he or she uses the word homois. And for example, it would be having a gala apple and a gala apple. They are, they are the same essential thing. And so when Jesus gets here and he talks about loving God and loving our neighbor, he equates them. Love God with everything you are and everything you have and love those nearest you as you love yourself. And these two commandments are so interwoven with each other that they are the same. Now, Jesus' best friend John obviously caught this teaching in Matthew 22 when he said in 1 John 4, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment that we have for him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. My friends, we cannot convincingly say, I love God, if we are unwilling to exercise the attitudes and actions that are necessary to convincingly say, I love the person near us. The biggest anti-Christian apologetic is when Christians are unloving 
to our neighbors. You see, love demands more than the law alone can. This is, in fact, Jesus' point in Matthew chapters 5 and 6. Love is the greatest commandment because love demands more than the law can. Love demands courage and loyalty and sacrifice, among other things, in our relationship to our Lord and in our relationship to the ones who are near us. We must exercise this kind of love with our personal Creator God and with those who are near us because that is so much more than just obeying the commands do not murder, do not commit adultery, and show up to church on time. Love is what separates Jesus' disciples from the Pharisees. Love is what separates the good guys from the death eaters and the Sith lords. Love is what separates Christians from the -the run-of-the-mill kitty cat video haters. Love is what is the distinguishing mark of those who trust the promises of God for us in Christ. So, what is Jesus calling us to do? What does Jesus command those who trust his promises? Well, it's pretty simple. Straightforward. We are to love God. We must love God with every aspect of our being. From whatever angle we look at our lives or ourselves, we must make God foremost. We must love Him more than we love our stuff. We must love Him more than we love some idolized circumstance. We must love Him more than any relationship that we could possibly have. And God must be foremost, not because He's some you know, emotionally needy superman, God must be foremost in our thoughts and our affections for at least two reasons. God is ultimate and no one else is. God is worthy of me. God is worthy of you. God is worthy of us. And secondly, God must be foremost. He deserves to be foremost because only when we put Him as foremost will all of these other things that we rightfully love fall into place. For example, loving God on our computer means that everything you do online is done consciously knowing that God is pleased as He is watching over your shoulder. Loving God in our free time means that whatever it is you are doing right now is done consciously knowing that God is enjoying whatever it is that you're creating. Loving God while you're doing your errands and your chores means that everything you accomplish is done consciously, thoughtfully, intentionally knowing that God is rejoicing in your attitudes. So you ask yourself, what am I doing? And is what I am doing something that I know that God would be pleased in? Because whatever is not from faith is sin. Ouch. Did that hurt anybody else here? Sometimes I hate preaching because, you know, I start getting into meddling and I want, you know, just that comfortable feeling. Really, though, it's because God the Spirit is reminding me which side of the spiritual tracks I come from. 
Back to preaching. God must be foremost in our hearts and our minds because only then will we understand what it is to love one another because only then will we understand how God loves us. Which, of course, brings us to the flip side of Jesus' coin. You and I must love our near ones as ourselves. So let me ask you a question. Who do you think about most every single day? Who is it that you worry about whether they're hungry or sad or tired the most every single day? Whose self-image or whose image in front of others do you concern yourself about the most? (laughs) That's a dumb question. It's me, of course. Unless you are the mother of a newborn, the answer is you. You already love yourself. You must not fall to the lie that the culture wants you to have. And you hear some Christians say this, oh, I've got to learn to love myself. Baloney! You already love yourself. You prove it every single day when all of your attention is all about you. And Jesus is saying here, look, just like you're concerned about your comfort right now, Be concerned about this person's comfort. Just like you're concerned whether you're warm and well-fed right now, be concerned if this person is warm and well-fed right now. So, for example, loving your near ones on your computer means that everything you write and don't write is spoken the truth in love in such a way as to build them up not knock them down. And loving your near ones in your free times means that you are courageous and loyal and sacrificial in how you bless those around you. I like how Dallas Willard puts this. Love is a well-reasoned concern for the good of all. Loving your near ones while doing your errands and chores means that you live as if the people who are near you are more important than being first in line or having a clear lane in front of you on the 101. Double ouch. Love God and your near ones by making disciple making disciples. Okay, we got to take a break here for a second. That was too tough. And as we get to the Great Commission, what we're going to find is that Jesus' words meld together. In fact, I would say that the Great Commission is an application of the Great Commandment. It's what Jesus is saying is the best way to love others possible. So let's go there. And see what Jesus says. Starting in verse 18. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I'm sure that most people in this room have heard several sermons on this and you've read it. And so, of course, Jesus has all authority, get it, and it's all clear, whatever. But then you start thinking about it 
Really? Does Jesus have all authority? Even over those kitty cat video haters? Yes, even over those nasty people, Jesus has full authority. Let's make one thing clear. Abraham Kuyper said years ago, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine! The reason that you can love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and every aspect of your life from your sleeping to your working, from your loving to your hating, from your coveting to your giving. Every aspect of your life is under the dominion and sovereign lordship of the Christ who is Lord of all. And Christ is sovereign. Amen. And therefore, He has the authority to command you. He has the authority to command me. And we must obey. My friends, this is the promise that we must trust. That God is sovereign and therefore when He commands us, when we obey His commands for us, it really will work out for good for us who are called according to His purpose. And though at this moment a significant portion of the universe, including my soul and yours, is in open rebellion. Though that is true, the King is coming and He will soon set things right. And between now and then, God remains sovereign and believing, trusting, having faith in this promise is what defines a Christian. What does it mean to be a Christian? It means to believe that He has not let this world spin out of control. He is still sovereign. And what happens is ultimately for His glory and for our good. You can trust your King. And here in our passage this morning, we see the eternal majesty is communicating His primary command. You go and make Disciple making disciples. Now, if you've been here for any amount of time, you've heard us and you yourselves have said many times this whole concept of disciple making disciples. We want to train people in the gospel so that they can train people in the gospel so that they can train people in the gospel and the gospel will go out. But, of course... You already do this, whether it's intentional or not. A couple weeks ago, I was in my backyard, and I was working on something, and I I finished it, and I turned around, and I saw my son, Jaron, standing there. I said, hey, bud, what are you doing? Oh, nothing, just watching you. Ouch. Talk about humbling. Your child is watching you whether you know it or not. Your coworker is watching you, Christian, to see what you are doing and whether or not that is in line with what the Bible says. 
You are making disciples because people see how you live online. They see how you live in the store. They see how you live at church. And therefore, you and I must be intentional about our discipling. Why? Because the highway to hell is paved with good intentions. And that is no less true on the road of discipleship, of making disciple, making disciples. So, you and I, at the beginning of 2017, we need to have a vision. We need to see what our lives could look like if we were to meet with one or two people who love Jesus a week. We need to talk about what God's Word says and the implication it has on our lives and not spending time talking about who's dating who or who, which movie star hates this movie star or even which quarterback broke his leg and now this team is finished for the season. You need to have a vision. But then you need to decide you want to do it. Then you need to intend to do this kind of of relating. You need to make the time that you need to make to meet with this one or two people so that you can grow. Because everybody has enough time to do the things they really want to do. And we complain about not having enough time to do the things we only pretend we want to do. Anybody feel that? What would it take? What would you need to add or eliminate so that you can spur another believer on to love and good works? You need to have a vision. What would it look like? You need to decide you want to do it. You need to intend to do it. And then you need to have the means. You need to have a tool to do this kind of discipling. Now here at Grace, we have material from Campus Crusade and the Navigators because that's where I come from in my spiritual growth. You don't have to use that. Use some material that you like. But the point is, is that you are able to give the person you are discipling something so that they can go and give it to the person they're going to disciple. Bill Bright called this idea the idea of transferable concepts so that this person can have something that they can then use because we want this disciple to make another disciple so that they can make a disciple. The old saying is you never really know how good your parenting was until you see your grandkids. The same is true in the spiritual life. So, Write me a note. Send me an email. My email is in the bulletin that you have in your hands. Send me a note. I will set you up. And if if you want something else, I'll set you up with that so that we can move in making disciples, making disciples. That, by the way, is one of my number one goals this year to get back to doing that as we have in the past. So let's get back to our passage. We need to duplicate ourselves wherever we are. And there's another side to that. If you're doing something that you don't think ought to be duplicated, knock it off. Stop doing it. If you're doing something you wouldn't want your kids seeing you do, why are you doing it? Right? Because listen, the commands of Christ are not optional. You don't get to read a command in Scripture and say, oh, I'm going to take grace on that one. That's not how it works. That's not how grace works. 
Grace means God is at work. Grace means God is working in you and through you. Grace means God is working in your circumstances and through your circumstances. Grace is opposed to earning because grace is opposed to me thinking that I can do anything but earn judgment. And at the same time, because of grace, because God is with us, because God has come near, we can obey. And because God is with us, we must obey. By the way, starting tonight, 6 p.m., all week, this week, we're going to have what we call our week of waiting. We're going to be praying at 6 p.m. about a different topic each night. We're going to spend some time uh, talking about that topic in a little, little sense. And then we're going to spend time as a body praying. Come with us. Join with us. Trust the promise of God that He will hear your prayers when you are gathered with two or three or more. Come with us and see what it is that God can do through you praying each night this week. Now, I understand. You know what? I've been walking this earth for long enough. I know that prayer meetings are not popular. You'd rather watch football. You'd rather watch whatever TV show is on. Or you'd rather you know, watch your little candy diamond thingies crush each other. Come and see that if you trust God's promise to pray, if you obey His command to come and be with each other, if the Lord will not reward you with a better life, a better experience for that 60 minutes than you would have if you had been doing this or this. Come to our week of waiting. One last thing. Jesus tells us exactly what it means to go and make disciples in our passage. He says, baptize and teach to obey. Now, there needs to be a decisive initiation into the family of Christ. We call that baptism. And this initiation is followed by a lifetime full of setbacks and stumblings and missteps. Anybody know what I'm talking about? There will be ups in this journey. There will be downs. Nevertheless, while you are traveling this road, love God and your near ones. Make disciple making disciples. As imperfect as you will be at this, keep moving forward. And understand, my friends, please understand this. Understand that all this backtracking and all this failing and missteps, all of this is a part of what God is doing in and through you. My friends, there is forgiveness and there is grace. God at work moving through your missteps so that we can move forward. This is part of what David is saying in Psalm 130 verse when he says, with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. If there was no forgiveness, you might as well give it up. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we shall die. But there is forgiveness. And because he offers this forgiveness, we can draw near. Yes, we will mess up. We will sin. We will draw back. We could draw near again. And yes, we'll fall. 
and we can draw near again. If God meant this Christian life to be only always upward growth in our walk with Jesus, if that's what God intended, then God has failed miserably. If, instead, God knew and accounted for and intended that we would walk this journey and fall back, we would step up and we'd get knocked down and we would fall to that same sin that we have sinned a thousand times. If God knew that and He used our victories and our losses as opportunities to draw us close to Him. If He used our lives, as imperfect as they are, as magnets to draw our hearts to Him, then my goodness, He has won spectacularly. He has defeated the lies of Satan who is trying to mess you up. And He is calling you to Himself. If you have failed already this year, <laughs> right? What, what are we now 11 and a half hours into this year? Anybody with me? You've already failed so far? Maybe God is at work in you. Because grace means God is at work in you so that your attitudes and actions prove that you love God more than anything and everything else, as imperfect as you do it. Grace means that God is at work in you so that your attitudes and actions prove that you love those who are near you, as bad as you are at it. Grace means that God is at work in you to live this kind of life that is worth copying as imperfect as you are. Grace means that God is at work in you to make disciple making disciples on purpose. Grace means that God is at work in you so that when you sin, all is not lost. Instead, you become another trophy of grace in God's trophy cabinet. You become an example to Satan and anyone else who may be watching that God is worth our best. Even when that best means that we fall on our face in the mud. We can cling to a great commitment, not a perfect commitment, but a great commitment to the great commandment and the great commission. And as we do, we will be living more and more the life that God created you to live. So love God and your near ones by making disciples, making disciples. You know, tis the season to make New Year's resolutions. So, if you want to make some New Year's resolutions to lose a few cheeseburgers that you've been carrying around, if you want to make some New Year's resolutions to curb your entertainment and add some more hours of reading during your week, if you want to make a resolution and to intentionally start meeting with a godly friend or two so that you can grow in your ability to mirror Jesus, great! Praise Jesus! We should do those kinds of things. Not just on January 1st, but 365 days a year. 
And as you make these resolutions, as they come, become a part of your life, as you take time to envision what they would look like, decide now that the controlling part of it, the controlling purpose of all of these resolutions you might make is to love God better and to love your near ones better by making disciple-making disciples. Let's pray. Lord Almighty, thank You for bringing us to this new year. Thank You that this is the day that You have made. And Lord, we will rejoice and give praise to You. God, help us this morning to focus on You. To see that You are infinitely worthy of all our best. And to love You and to love those you have brought near to us. And God, I pray that you would help us to decide today that we are going to vision, envision what it would look like to live more closely with you with another brother or sister. And then we would intend to do it. And then that we would take the means that are necessary so that we will bring you glory and our hearts joy and growth to your kingdom. We love you, Jesus. Amen.